dance is public art, more so than performance art. Hello and welcome to Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast produced by Creative Vanillas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I'm here today with Andy Scott, who is a dancer and a choreographer and a professor at USF. Hi, Barbara. Hi, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. You and I know each other because you did a wonderful project for Creative Vanillas called Our Trail. It was a project that came out of a project that I did two years ago called Our Town. And it really has to do with finding other ways to see performance, to do performance, to participate in performance, as well as trying to engage more and more people with art. So I've always been infatuated with the Pinellas Trail. And so the project ended up creating three performances that happened in three locations on the trail. And I was able to invite Helen Hansen French and Kelly Harmon to choreograph and then also included music, original music, which was a a beautiful collaboration. And that was curated partly through Elizabeth Baker and also myself. So that was a really nice collaboration to have. We performed at the Florida Botanical Gardens. We performed at the Dunedin Historical Museum and at St. Pete Art Walk outside of the Softwater Studios and Arts Exchange. So what happened when you unpacked your bags or whatever you brought, let's say in in Dunedin and started performing because I'm thinking that you know we didn't we told people you know obviously we marketed it right. but for many people who were there because it's in a public space right they didn't know that they were there for a dance performance or right music, so. right right we tried to be really strategic about it so that we actually placed the performances inside or next to events that were already happening so there was a, a folk arts festival that's happening in Eden and so we were able to have an audience that knew we were there and then also have what I think I'm starting to call an incidental audience. Mm-hmm. So so people just walking from the main street down along the Pinellas Trail happened upon us. And it was it was really it was really beautiful. So we don't <laughs> we don't have access to this space all the time. So we would get there and we would load in and we would basically do the entire show first. And we had a, a woman who was in a walker who stood up and was was mirroring and following along with some mm. of the dancers. We had people with their baby carriages and in their bicycles stopping and looking and participating. I mean, I love dance for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons why I love it is because of mirror neurons. So when we watch dance, when we watch movement, we have mirror neurons inside of ourselves that feel it, right? So this is the basis of this idea of kinesthetic empathy. Now, when you say mirror neurons, you're not talking metaphorically. This no, is a- for real, for real. This is this is the basis of this idea of kinesthetic empathy, so that when I see somebody moving, I also, inside of me, have a resonance of that movement. And that is a way that connects us to other people in a really beautiful and tangible but real way. And so one of the reasons why I love this project so much is because it just places dance where people can encounter it. it. I believe that dance can change the world. I believe that dance can save the world. But it's hard to convince somebody to buy a ticket to go to a theater to go see this dance. And no, no, don't worry. It'll save the world. It'll be awesome. <laughs> so, so, right. so trying to actually, a, a large part of that project was to also find ways to create encounters, dance encounters for people, because we will connect when we see other people moving. Even when I'm watching something, my head starts to tilt if they start to turn. And I can I can feel these things. And, and I just think that that's one of the gifts of dance is it connects us 
By seeing somebody moving, it also connects us to ourselves. And that relationship, that connection is, I think, the thing that undergirds our humanity. People generally, what I find, enjoy dancing. Right. Why do you think it's so hard for people to commit to purchasing a ticket and going to see a dance on a formal stage? That's a really good question. And I and I wish I had the I have some I have some thoughts about how to deal with that. All right, all but right. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it's the the lack of familiarity. I don't know if it's a feeling that it's difficult to understand and difficult to grasp. I don't know any of those things, but I do know that when people see dance, they're moved by it. So my response to that is to think about dance as public art more so than performance art so that there are more moments to come in contact with it. So it's, it's, it becomes easier because it becomes something that maybe is more familiar. And I think there's also, it's, it's difficult for people to see something that they feel that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of times, a lot of feedback I get after dances, that's really great, but what did it mean? And dancers, a lot of times, the question gets thrown back, well, what did you think it mean? I don't know how, how productive that is because there are, there are ways in, and I think it's very human to want to understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think if it feels that something is inaccessible, then, then why bother mm -hmm. on a certain level? So I think dance can be very rarefied. I think it can exist as abstract art. I think it can exist as narrative art. Mm -hmm. It can be literal. It can be non-literal. And those of us that have trained in it can move through those distinctions quite fluidly. Mm -hmm. I think when somebody nece hasn't necessarily been in and maybe comes against what they feel is their inadequacy in mm -hmm. relationship to the form, then I wouldn't buy a ticket either. I wouldn't buy a ticket to see something that I couldn't get and I didn't understand. Right. And, but I'm really trying to find ways to normalize dance demystify dance, mm -hmm. make it more accessible, starting with this idea of thinking about dance as public art. So if it's something that I encounter, then it has the opportunity to become familiar, rather than something that exists on the other side of a wall. So I am thinking about how we see dance and how I can also be in service to the field, not just a participant in the field, and thinking about ways of infrastructure, things, ideas of infrastructure, how dance is presented, where it's presented, who is presenting it. Because I think a lot of people maybe did dance when they were young or they have children that they put in dance and then mm -hmm. there's a moment where they stop. So to see the value of dance, to see the value of, of art in general, mm -hmm. and just in, in ways to thinking about legitimizing dance mm -hmm. that it's it's it has value art has value mm -hmm. art making has value we just rarely see the making of it which for the artists us artists is the work the work of it the performance is like the tip of the glacier right, right you know the actual building of the work is what exists underwater and we don't see and i think a lot of times we like to keep it hidden because then it's perhaps more magical i don't know but i would love to expose it As I get older, 
my relationship to the field changes, right? So I started as a student and then I have been a performer. And in Austin, that was very much my identity was as a performer and more so choreographer. When I moved to to Tampa and St. Petersburg, that shifted to educator. And now, you know, as I think about educating, I think about service. I think about advocacy. I think about the field in a much different way than I did when I was, I want to say, simply participating in it. And I don't think that it's impossible to ask people to understand dance. Mm -hmm. I just don't. I think we're all smart enough. You mentioned that people do dance and then they, they, they stop. Mm -hmm. People who are now, as adults, either performers or choreographers or educators in dance, they didn't stop. Right. So how is it that you kept going? Right. I was a really stubborn child. When I was younger, my mother used to always say, oh, this is really great, this dance stuff that you're doing, but at some point you'll let it go and you'll do something else. And and it, I think it just made me so upset as a child to be told what I could or couldn't do that I just kept doing it maybe on some, at some moments even out of spite but but the reason why I still dance today is because it is constantly fascinating to me that it constantly provides me with an opportunity to come up against things that I don't understand and it also simultaneously provides a framework for understanding so that to me the the curiosity the the desire to know how to know why to understand for me, it just it just came through dance. I mean, I joke with my students all the time and I say, well, you need to be nice to everybody because you don't know who's still going to be in the field because you're going to reach a moment where you know everybody because there's so few of us left. So that it's a really, really hard choice. I was fortunate. I was really fortunate that I had jobs in dance. I think also the field, the field is really tough. And I've been thinking about this a lot because I, I teach in college. And I think a lot about the, the field itself and the field is, is set up. When I was young, I was classically trained. And I can't tell you how many times I was told, well, if you don't want to do it, there's somebody to replace you. So, so I grew up as a woman, as a half Asian woman, being taught that I was dispensable. So I think that does a number on people. And I think on a certain level, some people that get out maybe escape that. And I, was, I would always just get so pissed when somebody would tell me that. And I even had a teacher who, I wasn't doing the solo correctly. I had the, I had the Grand Jeté solo and Les Sylphides. I loved, loved that solo. And my teacher got mad at me and took the solo away from me and gave it to my sister, which was actually horrible but probably the best way to do it because I could never not love my sister and I my sister was taller so she didn't get that many roles and so it was actually I could find a way to be happy about that so that it actually turned out well but it was it's that kind of it's that kind of power that I think makes things difficult so when I teach senior seminar we have a unit on consent complicity and culpability and, you know, I'm very conscious that this is a field mostly filled with women that have been taught that they're disposable. So, uh, you know, 
I don't think dance is frivolous in any way, shape, or form. Dance is what has formed me. It is what has given me the basis for intellectual rigor. It has given me a framework. But I also can understand that somehow I made it through, that I made it through the gauntlet of all of that. And, and I can always go back to my family, who always, have, even though my mother was like, ah, when are you going to be a doctor? Still, when I said this is what I wanted to do, she took me to ballet classes. She bought my point shoes. She did all of these things. She made space. And so the day that I could tell her I was a professor, I was like, oh my gosh, now you can actually brag about me to my aunts because now all of a sudden your artist child has gotten a real job. And I say real job in quotes. And, I, and I'm at a point in my life where I just, I don't want to have the quotes around dance as a real job anymore. Right. Because it is a job. Right. It, it, right. it is work. I do work all the time. I'm engaged all the time. I'm observing all the time. Being an artist is about paying attention. And dance, in a very particular way, asks me to pay attention. It asks me to pay attention to my body. It asks me to pay attention to, is what I'm feeling matching up with what I'm seeing? So it has to do with calibration as well. I feel that you know, when I teach choreography even, I'm getting to the point where I don't feel like I can teach people how to make dances. But I can, I can teach them to recognize that feeling inside of them when something works. Mm-hmm. Because that, I think, is the basis of choreography. Otherwise, it's a formula. And I feel like I want to see what's happening with all these kids that are growing up rewired because they grew up with smartphones, rewired because they had social media. They think differently. And I am not interested in imposing what I, what, what I know on the next. Because I don't think that's what art should do. I think very much that that we just make stuff and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And when I was younger, it didn't work more often than it worked. But when it works, you know. And so to actually create a connection between myself and that feeling and working back to that feeling and using that as also part of the information that I have when I'm making work. So so these are these are the things as artists you have to pay attention. You just have to pay attention. Yeah, and for me, that is what's kept me in the field. And I can say, you know, even the students that we have that are still dancing, they are the ones that were always on the side of the room working and working and working because they were obsessed on a certain level. It takes, on a certain level, it takes obsession to counter society. So I see my place in the field is trying to place dance in a different level. I would just love to break down the mythologies around what it means to be a dancer because they are some of the smartest people I know. And I do think that this training, this willingness that we have to to question what things feel like, have a way of grounding personal truth in a way that makes us more able to understand truth when we hear it and lies when we hear it. Because there is there is merit to I feel it in my bones. I know it in my gut. And I think that one of the gifts that dance does is it reconnects us to that that space of embodied knowledge right. that is really the only thing I can know. When we say the word dancer, we see something very specific in our minds. Most often it's a ballerina who's very, very skinny, who can lift their legs super high and can jump really high and can turn. We have these these benchmarks in our mind of what we think it means to be a dancer. And that's actually at the heart of what I wanted question because we are all dancers. 
because we are all movers. Dance is simply movement and space and time. That's all it is. Movement is a change in the relationship of my bones with the joints. We can all do that. So if we want to talk about dance and, and opening up the possibilities of what it can be and how these things can connect, it makes sense because I don't have a ballerina's body anymore, but I can still dance and I would never not think that I'm a dancer. And that's also something that I've had to come to terms with in my own aging because I grew up in a field that is very aesthetically specific. So coming to terms with that and coming to terms with the natural process of aging because there actually is no place for aging in dance right because they say you do it and then you'll that's okay you quit when you're young and you'll do something else but we never stop being dancers and and I do believe because as I as my own identities changed through my life in my field I become interested in different things I just I become interested in things like perception rather than a leg lifting I become interested in how things are relational more so than how much somebody turns. I am always looking, because of this grounding that I have in physicality, I'm still just looking for patterns. If nothing else, if I can provide more points of entry, then there's gonna be more opportunities for things to land. Without the goal that everything has to land, that's never the goal. Right. It's just maybe even two more people than that would have come. Like like we measure we measure success in tiny increments, and I'm and I'm satisfied with that because I just will continue and continue and continue. Right. Um, and I and I at this point in my life, I feel so clear about what I think the power of dance is, and I feel so clear and I don't know. You know, I am in my 40s now, and I do feel that I have something to say. Right. So, so even these moments of, you know, I have been through decades of self-doubt, and I still live there. It's part of, it's part of the conversation all the time. But I always have to remember this, this adage that nobody can say it like you say it. And your voice is important. Mm -hmm. And I say my voice is important. The way that I see things is completely shaped by who I am. And I am different from everybody else while we may have similarities. So so how I see things is valid. And so I can I can be at peace with the self-doubt. I can be at peace with the fact that maybe the piece isn't gonna work or maybe the project isn't gonna be awesome. But but I really believe in what I do. Yeah, and I really yeah. believe in the power of, of dance. And I yeah, and I'm happy to just continue learning and figuring out and trying and just making space for people to come in contact with dance. Well, thank you, Andy Scott. I really <laughs> appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Barbara. It's been a true pleasure. Oh, me too. I've been talking to Andy Scott, a dancer, instructor, choreographer, and dance artist, working very actively and dynamically in Pinellas County, Tampa Bay area. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.